0: Hi, I'm Dr. Fatima Ahmed. I'm an OBGYN and the clinical lead for maternity and women's health at Orca. For me, Femtech is anything which designs consumer products, medical therapy, or software with women in mind.
1: Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus Podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto. In today's episode, I interviewed Dr. Fatima Ahmed. Dr. Ahmed is a physician entrepreneur and an OB-GYN from the UK with over 10 years of experience working as a doctor. Her passion for improving women's health on a global scale led her to work for an organization called ORCA. Orca is a game-changing and world-leading company in evaluating healthcare apps for accuracy and safety. Dr. Ahmed is their clinical lead in maternity and women's health. Her strive to improve women's health and well-being globally is what lies behind her motivation to support Femtech founders developing the best products, solving women's most urgent needs. Did you know that 85% of digital health apps fall below quality thresholds? Orca is helping shape the standards of digital health using their 350 measurements across clinical assurance, data privacy, usability, and accessibility. You wouldn't take medicine that's never been tested, so why trust an unregulated health app? Orca's unique review process allows clinicians and patients to have faith in the digital health apps that they're using. Learn more at OrcaHealth.com. Enjoy the episode! Hey, Dr. Fatima, welcome to the show. Hi, Brittany. How are you doing? I am doing awesome. Um, I am so excited to have you on the show. We met on Clubhouse.
0: I know we did, of all places. I mean, Clubhouse is proving to be a great way to meet people you didn't even know existed that you should have met ages ago
1: 110 so. percent. there's people that I'm like I feel almost ashamed that we haven't been connected yet there's some people that I'm like it's so obvious and so uh listeners if you have an android <laughs> I'm so sorry <laughs> but currently clubhouse is this like audio chat room thing on on ios on iphones and fatima and I met each other and you're in the uk right Yes,
0: uh, I'm based in a, a smallish town called Sutton Coldfield near Birmingham uh, in, in the West Midlands in, in the UK. Yeah, so we've got very different time zones. I think we're quite a few hours apart. Yeah. I'm just getting my head wrapped around um, the different American time zones and then when the Australians <laughs> joined then it was like the Australian time zones and now like yeah, the Mena region. It's a bit, it's a bit um, mental. I had to literally double check today's appointment several times today just to make sure it was indeed four p.m. my time.
1: I know it's crazy. We uh we try to do some international things and trying to get Australia, Japan, Germany, East Coast, West Coast, everybody on at the same time. It's it's impossible. Somebody has to be up at three a.m. You know, essentially, it's impossible. Um, Well, I am so excited to chat with you today because of some really interesting things that you said on clubhouse. And I said, Oh my God, Sue Warren, invite her to the show. She has to be on it. But before we get into that first, I would love to know more about your background. Our listeners love to learn, you know, where did this guest come from? You know, so where are you from? What did you study? Did you have a career before femtech? And then like, how did you end up here?
0: Yeah, sure. So um, I'm a, a medical doctor by background. I specialize in a field called obstetrics and gynaecology. So for the American audience, that's OBGYN. Um, and that's a huge field uh, related to everything women's health. Um, it ranges from um, reproductive health concerns to gynaecological cancers, so cancers of the treating um, cancers, of the womb, the, the vulva, the um, ovaries, um, to doing pelvic floor surgery on the female um, Pelvic floor uh, to treat things like incontinence and prolapse, um, to things like fetal medicine and maternal medicine and maternal mental health as well. Um, I'm based in the UK and I've been practicing as a doctor for the past 10 years. So I graduated medical school 10 years ago. And um the reason I chose women's health and to go down kind of this particular specialty was because I was just really passionate about women's health, as, as, as uh, cheesy and cliche as that sounds. But I felt that. Um, I could really understand the perspectives of the um, women I was seeing just by virtue of not just being their surgeon or their physician but as a woman myself and I could really put myself in in their shoes Um, and uh, so that's why I picked that specialty. I also have an interest in technology and entrepreneurship, and I have done for a number of years. And actually, a few, a couple of years ago, I seriously considered um, starting my own femtech company because I was interested in how I could leverage different technologies to meet um, the unmet needs of, of women today. Um, and through that journey, I ended up meeting the founder of a health tech company called Orca, and I ended up working for them as their clinical lead for maternity and women's health. Um, and that company is really I mean it's been amazing because I've suddenly I've the impact that I can have on women has gone from the local impact of just being the clinician face-to-face meeting one person at a time to being able to do that on a on a larger scale scale and uh, global scale as well.
1: Amazing do you still practice medicine?
0: I do so I work part-time or three days a week for the NHS and the other two days um, I have set aside for um, other projects, and one of them is is my work with Orca.
1: So cool! And you know that reminds me a lot about like when I was a scientist in a laboratory. I knew I was studying something that could one day like affect patients and drug therapy in real life, but probably not for at least ten to twenty years. And I wanted to build something that I knew like I could launch an MVP in the next four weeks and like really see large scale impact. And so um, I can totally relate to that. Let's talk about ORCA, what is ORCA?
0: So um, ORCA actually is an acronym. It stands for the Organization for the Review of Care and Health Apps. And we're a global company that in my opinion, I mean, I am biased, but we have been truly game-changing when it comes to reviewing and regulating healthcare apps on the market um, we assess apps based on like a, a huge set of very strict criteria from gdpr and data protection issues to Xy to their clinical evidence base and the safety of use. if they're classified as a software as a medical device or not and if they've got all the correct regulatory standards in place um, and before orca was um, founded the health app market was completely unregulated literally anyone who could develop an app could put anything on the app store and not be held accountable for it at all and people were getting away with this for many years and um the founder of orca liz had noticed this was happening and she she comes from a healthcare background and she decided she needed to do something about this because it was completely unsafe um and it, and, and really dangerous that these unregulated apps were being used and downloaded by literally i mean the numbers were shocking M- millions of people would Downloading these, um, so 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 she she set about and developed Orca. Um, we don't just review apps and regulate them, but we also offer like prescription services. So a healthcare or a doctor, um, a healthcare provider or a doctor could have a look at our library or formulary as we like to call it in-house of all the apps that have met our standards and then recommend them to patients much like you would with um, medication. So we don't prescribe meds unless they've gone through some clinical trials and lots of different processes before they eventually reach the doctor's office who then prescribes it to the patients and same with recommending surgeries. Um, and on the flip side, we also work alongside developers and help them to improve their digital health solution so that we can bring them up to the standards required. And we really do aim for high, high standards.
1: I have a lot of questions. This is <laughs> fascinating. I This is exactly why I was like, we well, just have to be on the podcast because you talked about this. In and I was like, this, this is so important. All right. So some questions I have. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Is it required to have Orca like approve and regulate your app or is it um, something that a digital health app would actively choose to have done?
0: Uh, so it's something that the digital health app would actively choose to have done, yes. Um, but we're now more and more working alongside government um, and we're working along I don't remember which com- uh, governments now globally um, but there's multiple governments that Orca works alongside to help them with their regulatory processes as well um, and so there's some um, business there that's happening with with governments so they don't necessarily have to have the the Orca um, sign off but for us to go to healthcare providers and say these are the safe ones we want them to go through our criteria. mm mm-hmm
1: and how many apps has Um I would recommend oops go ahead <laughs> no, i was going to say and
0: i would um i would recommend it as well because things are kind of moving towards that and where our criteria are quite um very stringent compared to, to other regulatory bodies out there and we as i say we're advising the governments on how to do this because it's a new it's a new thing for a lot of uh, a lot it, i mean it's a new thing that wasn't utilized before. Um, so everyone's learning and we've kind of, we're ahead of the game in that regard.
1: Totally. In the U S is there a regular digital health regulatory company?
0: I'm not aware of any.
1: Oh my God. And do you only review things in Europe or do you do U S apps too?
0: Um, so we, I don't know if we've, we've rolled out in the, in the US. i S I'll have to double check, but we are based in, um, some countries in Europe. the middle east and the uk um in terms of the roles that i do because i can relate it to um, our regulatory processes here the companies that i'll mostly review are uk-based ones but we'll also so i think so in the past year we've been really trying to push to see to help healthcare organizations in the uk adopt some of these digital technologies so we've been focusing on the uk ones um but we you know, it is a global company. And um, so, so it's, it's, it's global.
1: Wow. Okay. Okay. Still the questions are coming. All right. Next question. (laughs) Um, How many apps has Orca reviewed?
0: I don't know the number to that. are so bad. Or maybe I should have looked that up.
1: <laughs> no, okay. You been, you do a specialty, right? You look at the women's yeah, apps and stuff. Exactly,
0: like but it's in the thousands. It's okay. it's literally in the thousands. And the review team. There's a there's a big review team that will just filter through everything and all domains. And there's that particular team. They're they're a big part of the company, and they will go through all of them and kind of have them through the system and then churn out kind of the the not, not great apps. And then eventually, you know, the, the good ones will come to us for a for, for review because mm-hmm. it's kind of, there's a multi-layered approach to how these apps are, are, are looked at. So we do the baseline review first and then we do the clinical assessment afterwards.
1: Yeah. Well, that's just like anything, right? Like grant reviews or venture capital investing, right? You have some people doing the first filter, second filter until it gets to the like general partners or the OBGYNs, right? So that's, um, I can totally see that process. What are some of like the biggest problems or like what's what's like the easiest way to be disqualified from even getting to the next round, you know? Like what are the, some of the biggest problems that Orca sees in digital health apps?
0: Um so Again, I can't answer that one as much because that would go through that would I'd have to ask one of the developers actually, not the developers, one of the reviewers about that one. Um, because they they'll be able to know exactly which ones kind of get just yeah, like you said, disqualified or don't go through the next next process. But I think it really varies. And um, because we we have like, I think there's five or six domains, and each of those like, the the questions end up being. There's about 200 odd of them, so it's it's quite a big, big process mm-hmm. um, that's undertaken. So each, a lot of apps will just not, not fulfil certain things. A lot of them will be like there'll be some data protection issues that seems to come up a lot. But whether that's a true, a true um, uh, that's, that's kind of anecdotal. Um, so I wouldn't be able to tell you exactly which ones, what the biggest issues are at the moment.
1: I know that there is some concern about women's health apps and um, data protection, especially as um, a very popular femtech business model right now is actually getting the employers to pay for these apps, services, whatever, so that their female employees can benefit from it. Um, but there has been concerns about, like, well, do the employers ever get access to that data and find out, like, if a woman's trying to get pregnant or whatever? Um, yeah, that something that you see? And, like, what can digital health apps, like, what should they be building in the first place for de- data protection?
0: Yeah, so that would be a concern. So really, you want to make sure that that data is secure um, and that it's and it, if it is shared with third parties, that that's declared in a in a clear way. Um, because that's that's a concern especially like i imagine in the UK and US where you've got insurance-based things or um, yeah you don't want to be or you don't want to be sharing certain things with your employer that's uh, yeah we that wouldn't be <laughs> uh,
1: not not good <laughs> yeah um, how does the app downloader like a consumer know if an app has been reviewed and approved by y'all
0: um, so we have the library, so you can look up things on the library and see what score it's being given. And then also a lot of um, a lot of the apps will actually put it on their website to say it's been reviewed and recommended by Orca.
1: That's oh. what a
0: lot will do. It kind of gives them that badge as well and encouragement.
1: Good. You know? Like. Something I'm thinking about is, you know, as somebody who in the past I had a company with an app and so I hired developers and like, I totally, I understand the submitting to Apple. Like I know the whole process, like it's a major pain in the butt actually. And so my question is like, how do app developers who are developers and not doctors like you, like make sure that they're on track to get approved from the beginning, right? Because the last thing you wanna do at your startup is spend any money building something that isn't gonna be approved, right? From the, and and I know you and I were talking about this before the recording started that, you know, these are all people who aspire to do good in the world, even if they don't get approved, right? Like, it's not like they're these evil people out there. They're all like good-hearted, like they're trying to build something right. So how do we make them all succeed in terms of like hitting all the right marks? How do we do that?
0: Um, so in terms of with, uh, so with us, I always say, so I'll have um, developers reach out to me um, kind of on LinkedIn and things and just ask me for some advice. And I'm always happy to, to give advice where I can. And also um, I always say to them, you know, if you're in that process, kind of come to us as early as possible and we can really kind of help you with that process process and help you with what are the steps that you need to do to make sure that um your app is approved um and the costs for the developers are not you know not not too expensive either for that um and and actually what we beyond kind of the help that we give them in terms of how to make this um a good app that we would then be happy to recommend um we we a lot of the, there's a kind of a high payoff for the developer because we end up it's on our library we end up doing a lot of the groundwork for them we end up when we have discussions with healthcare, healthcare providers we say have you heard of this app it's on this um it, it will solve this particular problem in your pathway um and we sort of actively recommend them because we really want to just provide good healthcare care apps For people and make them accessible and we want the for example in the UK the NHS to know about them we want to help the NHS um, with some of the problems that it may be having um, and help it provide the best care to patients as possible we're not just um, obsessed with apps for the sake of apps we want to really just see how these technologies already exist and how can we actually use them to improve healthcare and to improve patient care and improve things like compliance with medication or recovery following surgery um and so it's a it's a really it's a really good relationship that we build with the developers
1: i mean you are obviously an md who's pro technology right but do you find that in general most medical doctors or like once you tell them like hey you should like literally prescribe this app to your patient Like, do you get a lot of pushback or are they all on board? Like, what is is a generational thing? New doctors are all for it. Old doctors, not so much. Like, tell me about that.
0: Yeah. So, so yeah, so I'm um, an anomaly because I'm already in, in technology. So uh, me recommending something, it's, it's like you said, you know, I'm already, for me, technology, I've grown up with it. Um, Whereas for others, I think, I mean, at the end of the day, we want to make sure that, so there's two arms to this. So as, as, a, as a doctor on the ground, um, it's incredibly frustrating when kind of the leadership in a hospital just rolls out a piece of tech or a piece of software and there's little training and you suddenly have to use it. And actually it becomes really, really difficult to do your job. takes twice as long. Um, so you want to make sure that when you do develop develop something, you're taking your workforce into account and not adding that burden onto them because um, doctors and nurses and other healthcare professionals working in in large health systems like the NHS, we're already overburdened, we're overworked. We don't want to have like some more thing thrown on us, the more system thrown on us that's just going to make our our lives a lot harder. Um, So you want to make sure that that's done in a way that you've got your workforce behind you and supporting that and championing that. that. Um, So actually, so so when I do look at apps, I do have that in mind as well. So I'm like, is this actually going to make people's like working lives a lot harder or is this something that's really simple that can easily be implemented into existing systems? So that's a a consideration I t- take into account. Um, you'd be surprised how uh, the technology in hospitals is still is still so um, lagging far behind. We still use you know, Windows systems that are 10 years old up until recently where we, we're using faxes. Um, so you really want to you, you want to make change and make things easier but you'd want to do it in a way that you don't alienate your, your workforce.
1: Absolutely.
0: uh, It's what I mean, that was one of the things about the pandemic, actually it kind of forced everyone to accept technology because Uh we had to, we had to think of new ways of working and it really allowed that fostered that um, appetite for innovation to make, to make our lives easier.
1: Totally. Like, You know, people are so set in their ways until you absolutely have to adapt, right? Like that's literally how evolution works. Like biological evolution, a lot of people think that it's like slow and steady mutations over time, da, da, da. No, 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 no we're actually super stationary in our evolution until something really big happens, huge pollution, climate change, like, you know, a volcano, I don't know, like whatever happens in like this organism's life. And then there's like this dramatic change, right, to evolve. And so like, that's how I feel like our healthcare system just was like old and steady and was like, well, whatever, windows and faxing works good enough. And then the pandemic happened and it was like, oh God, okay, we're, we're growing, but now here we are, right? We're in like this new lineage of uh how healthcare can be delivered and and done um that Absolutely. really reminds me uh listeners if you are an aspiring founder early stage founder and you do not have an md as an advisor please get an md as an advisor at femtech focus we see a lot of products that have been you know you spent a lot of money on already making, you've spent a lot of sleepless nights creating. And yet when me and my co-founder, Dr. Julie Hakeem, look at it, we're like, Have you ever talked to a doctor? Because I don't think this is ever going to be accepted by a hospital or it's never going to fit in a vagina. Like, so make sure everybody, even if you're a digital health app, get an MD as an advisor. Um, Like Dr. Fatima here is saying, you know, there are things that need to be considered that app developers usually don't think about, right?
0: Absolutely. A hundred percent. And what's really exciting is that um, we've also had a a midwife very recently join our team and that's just made the kind of process that we're doing so much more comprehensive in the women's health section Mm -hmm. because she sees patients on the community in a community setting and I don't get access to the community I work in secondary care and not primary care so that's been really awesome because now we can both kind of put our brains together and look particularly the um the pregnancy childbirth and Early parenthood apps, and and bring both of our expertise from the different angles that we have. So it's pretty awesome, and she's very cool. I think she's doing a PhD in public health, I want to say, but um, but it's just made that whole process even more comprehensive.
1: Have you seen a lot of femtech apps coming in the pipeline?
0: um so what I do so I don't um so I don't just get like a a list of apps that um the reviewer will be like these are the ones I found that have passed the baseline review for you to have a look at what I'll also do is I'll end up um take I take quite an active approach and I think that's because I am really so interested in women's health but I will look out for femtech companies and scout them um and then if I find something so in the past year we had to I had to develop um a digital care pathway um, to to really kind of, from the pandemic um, to to demonstrate to hospitals where health apps can um, meet some of their unmet needs and not only meet some of their unmet needs, but also enhance the service. And um, so I was finding really good solutions from a clinical perspective that would really solve some of our biggest needs but they weren't passing the baseline review, and so, so therefore we couldn't recommend them. Um, so I I'd, I'd bring them to the to the review team, be like, this is a really cool app. We need to like start a conversation with them. Maybe um, offer them uh, to do their we, we do the review for free, but okay. to give the analysis that's what what costs. Um, but most of them will be you know really happy to engage with us, particularly um, over the last year. And as I say, it's it's really really affordable. Um, and uh, so, so I'll end up scouting some of these companies and being like, this is a great solution. We need it. And so put it on Orca's radar um, and then they'll they'll get in touch with them. The review team will get in touch with the developers and start that relationship um, and help them kind of bring it up to scratch so that I can say, yes, we, well, need, so, we can use this.
1: So there are some femtech companies in the pipeline, but it's actually increased because you're actively Finding them and being like, women's health needs all the help it needs, (laughs) you know, like recruiting them in and you're like, let's make all the women's health apps amazing. There's one. Yeah. Especially, and
0: especially especially when it comes to things like, particularly in this last year when we needed to have a bit more um, telemedicine and remote monitoring. So uh, there was a few apps that were monitoring people's blood pressures that was like, we need to have this, like we actually need this. Web, sorry at home blood pressure monitoring um because it would save people you know having to come into hospital every especially if you've got preeclampsia you need to come in so often and with covid you don't want to be coming into hospital yeah. also it's a nuisance like and with without covid a lot of these women they have children they have childcare issues um they they are working they need to take time off at work all the time they need to sort out childcare all the time they also it's expensive like traveling to and em- on the hospital, um, especially if they're needing to use public transport, for example. So uh, post-pandemic, these solutions are still very, very important. It's not just, uh, but, but like like I said before, like COVID just made it, like, uh, that adoption a lot quicker. Um, Absolutely. So, uh, so, so, yeah.
1: We talk a lot about accessibility to health and wellness here at Femtech Focus, because what we've learned through our own research is that Sure. There's some areas of saturation and innovation for women's health and wellness, but usually it's only saturated for affluent white women (laughs) and all the other women it is not solved for. And accessibility is a huge one. Women living in counties that do not even have an OBGYN women, you know, 98% of perinatal specialists, which is what you see when you have, um, high risk pregnancy. I know, you know that, but (laughs) our listeners They name <laughs> job, these like, perinatal specialists, 98% of them work in major cities in the US. If you do not live in a major city and you have a high risk presidency, mm-hmm. how are you going to get, you know, you shouldn't be traveling five hours, you know, every month to see this specialist. So we need yes. accessibility, women with other kids, women without access to a car, women with, um, you know, working at an hourly wage job that, you know, they can't just take off whenever like t- telehealth, right. Um, and digital health products are gonna be a way that they can get access to the care that they need. But if we look at discrepancies in like the quality of healthcare, we need to make sure that these apps, although they can access them, let's make sure that they're actually on par with going into a doctor, right? Like yeah. I'm preaching to the choir here, I know, but I'm just, I? Like, putting it I love- all together in my mind.
0: you say it so much better than than me because i you can tell (laughs) i don't do these often but um it's and and actually accessibility is one of the things that we look at when we're doing the reviews
1: really tell me more about that
0: um so i'll look at just like what you said really um is a success you know what's is will this particular health product actually marginalized already marginalized populations or does it um does it solve some uh other populations as well uh their needs and improve that accessibility so things like is it translated into different languages because not everybody speaks english it's something as simple as that yeah. um and and then and, you know invariably a lot of digital health products you know some people who are on the property line they don't own smartphones they don't have uh wi-fi in their home that's a real issue we, we, we have to kind of like highlight that so that that's 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 so that you know healthcare providers can um not just to go all in on digital like this will potentially marginalize already marginalized people so um so yeah one of the things we do look at is accessibility and uh what's the word so equality and diversity
1: Mm -hmm. and so orca is like this independent company right and like the you're consulting with the government potentially app stores but like do you ever do you think that this will ever become um like an app store requirement like when you submit your app to be in the app store like it has to go through people like you before it gets approved or even like on a governmental level like gdpr data protection stuff like do you see this as like we're ever gonna make it universal like requirement
0: it's a really good question um so I know there are other companies like us, so ones that just basically independently review and assess these apps. Whether the app stores will start to do that, I don't know. That's a good question. I'm sure they have their reasons why they shouldn't.
1: Yeah, and I mean, so they then want it. The apps, right? They're like, why would they care? Exactly. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So then it falls on. It. yeah yeah, no it makes sense um so then it falls on you know the other thing is then government's passing laws to say you can't make these claims just like you have the fda um approving things um so so i don't know um i'd like for there to for us to be in a situation where it comes to health apps making really big claims that there are rules in place to prevent them from doing that because like in the past there were apps literally where you would use your camera on your phone and the technology wasn't hadn't existed it didn't exist and you would just scan your wrist and it would tell you what your blood pressure was and it was being downloaded by millions of um hypertensives just because they wanted that uh reassurance that their blood pressure was was normal um and the same with diabetes as well people were using there were apps where you could just scan scan your your hand or something it would tell your blood sugar readings and people were downloading those as well and there was no so that's there's, there's some real like fully really dangerous apps that i think
1: oh my god uh, it would
0: be good to just like that is not safe
1: oh my gosh yeah this is crazy what um you said that you do work with government so that does that mean that the governments are interested in it
0: um so orca as an organization will consult with governments and um also help them with their uh so i know they so orca was uh, worked a lot with nhs digital and NHSX um to help them with their kind of act review process as well and their regulation and things um wow. so yeah crazy stuff i don't i don't get involved with that high level stuff so. <laughs> But nevertheless, this is like
1: blowing my mind because I consult and meet digital health app developers and founders all the time. And it's like, you know, I even need to question myself. Have I ever said, like, thought to myself, hey, has this app actually been reviewed, (laughs) you know, by a doctor? So this is such an important, important need. Um, Let me ask you, what do you hope the future for digital health apps looks like?
0: Um, what do I hope the future of digital health apps? Um, so, okay, let me think about that one for a moment. (laughs) Um, I want them to be accessible to everyone. So, um, regardless of where you're from, what language you speak, this app solves your needs and is accessible to you. It doesn't marginalize you. I want them, I want them to be, to really put the patient, if it's a, if it's a, if it's a healthcare um, app, or the client or the user, really at the centre of everything they're doing, so that they're solving, they're truly solving their needs, and making their experience with whatever healthcare condition they have, a little bit better, Um, and I want them to also bear put healthcare providers in mind as well when they develop them and not make already a stretched workforce and an, a burnt out workforce make their lives even harder. I want them to make our lives easier because technology is an adjunct. It should make our lives better. It shouldn't make it worse. And so that has to be in mind. And then lastly, um, I mean, I won't go into this, but all the ethical implications when it comes to data being mined, I want that to be done in a very responsible way, um, that you don't actually end up harming the individual user and actually using the user as a commodity or as your, your coin.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, are there certain women's health and wellness, um, like genres that you wish there was more digital health apps addressing?
0: Um, so women's health genres. Um, so I know So a few years ago, or a couple of years ago, menopause wasn't being addressed, but now there are lots of, thankfully, digital health solutions in in development at the moment, trying to address the menopause, and some have already been developed, and I think that's brilliant, I think that's fantastic, because um, menopause was just completely overlooked menopause of women were completely overlooked nobody really talked about it nobody really complained about it nobody women were suffering so so many years with symptoms of the menopause and they had no idea there were symptoms of menopause because nobody talks about the symptoms of menopause except for everyone knows oh you get hot flushes but it's so much more than just hot flushes it affects everything it, from your brain to your skin to your hair and um, to your mood um, so menopause was one that I felt really could be disrupted. And I still think it can be disrupted, that space. Um, There's still a lot that can be done, but I know that there's lots of really cool companies coming out that are trying to solve that.
1: Awesome. Um, I have one last question for you. What do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now in order to be successful?
0: Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, (laughs) I think and um, I did jot down some ideas here. So um, I'll just go back to that. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, the biggest thing that fun tech industry needs right now um, is funding um, and for people to ask the right questions and speak about Fintech and bringing more awareness to the needs of women. Um, we need more women investors and women in leadership positions to really chart to really drive those um, changes forwards. Because we can always start things at like a grassroots level and and grassroots movements. But if we don't have people um, in leadership positions or take a top down approach, then um, we're not going to see the change at pace that we want to see. That's mm-hmm. my view.
1: I love it. Women at the table and more funding. That's what we need.
0: Yeah, because it's only like what four percent or something of funding um goes into to to that. So it's uh it's a oof. i mean the, the statistics are really shocking.
1: Yeah, the no, amount of um VC capital, venture capital that went into FemTech companies in 2019, I, it was less than one percent of oh. all investing. Less wow. than one percent went into women's health. Isn't
0: that insane? Wow. That's insane. Sorry, into- how Sorry, so it's four percent into in healthcare research funding. Four percent,
1: yeah, four yeah, percent is- for pharmaceuticals R and D budgets. Four percent is for women's health R and D. Isn't that crazy? Like, yeah, we like have a podcast, y'all. Like, because <laughs> I just think it's so crazy. <laughs> It's emerging. Yeah. Vaginas are emerging. Why? How is this now only a thing? But whatever. We're on the road. We're doing it. Because people like you, there's people like me, there's people like you learn. Like we're, we're doing it. We're birthing it. We're growing it. We're bringing awareness. Um, the thing that I'm most excited about is, you know, as an entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur, I've had many and ideas or things I thought were cool. And, you know, there's lots of people that are naysayers that comes with the territory femtech has been the only thing that like I'm going on 18 months of talking about it without anyone pushing back literally everyone is like really that sounds important how can I help you and I'm like all right y'all but seriously yeah. you feel free to tell me it's a bad idea or like it's not important or it's already fixed no everyone's like on board so that's been a really cool mm. experience um,
0: I mean yeah it's really shocking when you look at the statistics because women because of the health science gap I guess you can call it that I think that's what it's called but um women are literally dying because their health care needs are not met and this is not even going into specific needs of women's or specific conditions of women such as PCOS and endometriosis which are a huge a, a, a huge thing in their own right as well this is things like heart attacks um women are I think it's 17% more likely to die of a heart attack um they're 50% more um, uh, more likely to um what was this, the thing? Maybe cut that one out. I've forgotten now. <laughs> but they are seventeen percent more <laughs> likely to to die of, of, of a heart attack, and that's because of the biases inherent within the way that we practice medicine. And it wasn't until I think what, five years years ago that the NIH mandated that research funding has to they have to include female um, animal models um, before they could fund that research. So what about all the research that was happening before then, and all the medications that we're prescribing to women that are based on male cells and male animal studies it's when you look at it it's insane and it's not just from from treatment so we're prescribing the wrong drugs at the wrong dosages that might not even work for female bodies because we didn't want to test on mice that have periods because it's you know the menstrual cycle was too uh too many variations so scientists didn't want they wanted a standard male a standard male model that would yielded consistent results but hang on a minute (laughs) women don't have a consistent you know that's not how women's biology works so your 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 research is on male animal studies and then that's being extrapolated to then fit into women so invariably you're giving them the wrong treatment and as a result women are dying and suffering as a result of that um and it's not just the it's not just the drugs but it's also things like diagnosis and diagnostics so coming back to the heart attacks up until recently, we were using the, the biological markers that we, we were using were based on men. Um, the particular enzyme, it was based on men, men, and it's released when you have a heart attack. And it it's I think it's from the cardiac muscle. I'm forgetting my card my cardiology now, but um men, women's hearts are smallest. So we were actually missing diagnoses from women because we were measuring the wrong levels. And then on top of that, again, it's symptoms. So I mean, the, the situation is is really huge and women's healthcare concerns is a huge problem and it's a 500 billion dollar problem yeah. um which is the same actually as diabetes so so uh i, I mean i oh, yeah, can tell i'm really passionate about it, it and oh, <laughs> no,
1: I know, girl. the other week i was listening to a conference if with some with some scientists out of switzerland and sweden they had a few european scientists um very very heavy research like I wouldn't put this on FemTech Focus website. Like it was very graphs and science, and, but I loved it. But they had a they had a laboratory. Um, uh, they were studying nanotechnology, so little nanoparticles delivering drugs to certain areas of the body. Uh, and the the PI so the guy in charge of the lab said yeah my grad student messed up and used a female mouse instead of a male mouse and when you put female mice next to male mice they automatically get their period so some that's just mouse biology blah 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 so the the student messes up uses a female mouse takes the image uh brings the image to the professor and he's like you Silly, silly PhD student. Like you use the female mouse. You never use female mice. And the PhD student said, "Yeah, but look what happened." So what happened was, turns out when the mouse is on its period, the nanoparticles collect in the uterus, and don't actually go to the target site of where the cancer was for the drug development. And like, oh,
0: that's actually that's so significant. Oh my god.
1: Twenty twenty-one. We just figured out. Damn. Maybe women on their periods are not having drugs delivered to the right place.
0: (laughs) Oh my God.
1: Consider that as a variable when we give drugs to humans. Like, are you menstruating or not? Because based on that, like our biology is going to prioritize blood flow and shit different. Like blow my mind. Right. Yeah. Like this is, this is insane. This is in like, why, I don't know why I'm not overly funded, you know?
0: (laughs) Yes, I know. I know.
1: (laughs) Exactly. you're listening and you have opportunities for grant funding or like whatever, like please fund us. Cause like this type of stuff we're trying to bring awareness. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: And I, I remember the statistic. It was, they were 50% more likely to be misdiagnosed of a heart attack and they were twice as likely to die from a heart attack 30 days within a heart attack for the men, even though, uh, yeah, there's shocking, shocking stuff. And, that, and now you're telling me about this cancer. System. I mean, the implications are so, so phenomenally huge. We don't, even know. And we
1: don't even know how many women are dying based on gender bias. We don't even know, right? Yeah. yeah.
0: And yeah. it goes the other way as well. So not just are we um, giving medication that can protect, potentially harm women um, or not work or at the wrong dosages, but also we're potentially denying them of potential treatments that could have worked on them that didn't work on the male mice models, but may very well have worked on women. So we're potentially denying women of treatment that could have worked. And I know, think about that one. In
1: our capitalistic society, which I don't necessarily like to use money as the reason to care, you should just care about women, but if you care based on money, Wouldn't you think that the pharmaceutical companies of the world, they're missing out on drugs that they could patent and get money from because they're not testing on the female mouse or the models, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh, so it makes
0: sense from everything from an ethical perspective, from a humanitarian perspective, from a financial perspective, yep. from a capitalistic perspective. Yep. It just makes sense.
1: Somehow religion is in there as well. I know it. Like, there's, there's all, of the, all of the angles, it all just agrees. Femtech is important. Well,
0: um, um do you know what I, I read? Like, but just prepping for this interview, that um, Aristotle had described the female form as the mutilated version of the male form so and that kind of like thought process about women and women's anatomy permeated has permeated really to this day um if you th- if you really think about it and historically the way that we've we've done things and conducted research um so yeah, yeah. if you really really go into like the history it's it's uh it's it's same
1: think about even like, um, you know, Eve was made from Adam's rib supposedly. Right. So it's like the woman is derived from the man as well. Mm -hmm. So mm, 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 mm. we are two different genders and sexes. And oh my God, we have, you and I, we have so much to talk about. Thank you so much for your time today. You are amazing. What you're working on is so important. I knew that I had to get you on the show when I met you in clubhouse. So you're incredible. Thank you for all you do.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you. And it's been an absolute pleasure. And I'm so happy that you and I met. And I'm um, just really grateful for the work that you're doing to really just get this message out there. And hopefully, you know, things are changing and and they will continue to change with people like you at the helm and and others. So uh, yeah, thank you very much um, for having me as well.
1: Thank you for listening to my interview with Dr. Fatima Ahmed. Orca's clinical lead for maternity and women's health. In a world in which disinformation, fake news, and disingenuous apps are rife, Orca's comprehensive and authoritative approach to digital health provides patients and doctors with the confidence and reassurance they need to make digital health work. Be sure to check out their organization at orcahealth.com. DFM fans, be sure to subscribe to our newsletter Give our show a five-star rating, if you don't mind. If you're having a good time, please go to the App Store and and, um, iTunes podcast and give us a five-star review. That would mean a lot to us. Also, you can join our virtual community at femtechfocus.org. Become a FemPro member for only $10 a month. It'll give you access to all of our previous recordings, including the Summit recordings and all of our previous FemTech Fundamentals. Femtech Fundamentals is a bi weekly workshop we put on. We usually charge attendees $10, but if you become a FemPro member, you can attend for free. And we love just meeting with our community. We call y'all our Fem fans. Monday nights, we have listening parties. Um, every other Wednesday, we have Femtech Fundamentals. Uh, just seriously, so many things going on. So, subscribe to our newsletter so you are up to date. And please consider making a donation, uh, preferably a recurring monthly donation. You don't have to think about it because we are a 501c3 nonprofit and we require donations in order to operate. So thanks to your support, we can do what we do. Until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.